Welcome to the First Century Church Podcast. My name is Stephen Wilhoy, and I'm the lead pastor at First Century Church, and it is an honor to have you with us today. The goal of the podcast is simple. We want you to be encouraged, challenged, and inspired to go further in your faith than ever before. If you'd like more information about the church, you can visit our website, firstcenturykc.com. And if you happen to be in the Kansas City area anytime soon, we'd love to have you join us for one of our live gatherings to connect with you in person. Again, thanks for joining us today, and we hope that you enjoy today's message. So Ben Franklin famously said, or wrote, I don't know which one, once, uh, he said, nothing is certain except death and taxes. So on Easter, we're going to start a five-week series on one of those two topics. We're talking about death, okay? Uh, we are. We're going, to talk, we're going to start a series this week and for the next four weeks after this one on death and the afterlife. And I will be honest, it's Easter, so that's a bit of a risk I'm taking, okay? Talk, making this my main content for Easter. Uh, and it's, it'll be, you'll, you'll see why as we get going. But so I just decided we're just going to take the net out from under me on this tightrope t- this morning on Easter, and we're just going to go for it. And I've been wrestling with this. The, the closer we've gotten to Easter, the more I've t- asked God why. You know, why would you curse me with this message on death on Easter? Uh, but I just believe he's brought, us, he brought you here for a reason. He's got this message for a reason. And I believe that it's going to do something special. So death and the afterlife, here's the real reason that we're going to talk about this for the next few weeks, is because it's something that we all think about. We, we don't want to, but we do. And so here's the real question. This is kind of the theme for this whole series about why we're talking about death and the afterlife for the next few weeks. And it's simply this. Your beliefs about death will affect your actions in life. Your beliefs about death will affect your actions in life. Why do we work all of our adult life to save? It's because we think about death. I want to leave something for my children and my grandchildren. Why do we have a will or a living will? Because we're always thinking in the back of our mind about the thing we don't want to think about. That's why it's in the back of our mind. But death is sort of always looming there. We know that it's part of life, is the end of life, which is death. And we'll talk more about that in a second. But your beliefs about death will affect your actions in life. And there's all sorts of beliefs about death in the afterlife, okay? There's, there's a wide-ranging spectrum and view uh, of views on death in the afterlife. So let me just give you a few of these on the spectrum here. So there are some on one end who would say there is death, but there is nothing after that, right? You live, you die, and you're worm food, okay? You live, you die, and you maybe, maybe you're in that bag of mulch you bought this weekend at Home Depot or Lowe's, you know. Maybe they mixed you up into that, and now you're helping the universe to keep going. Yeah, some people have that view. I'm not going to say I hold to that view, but that's a view that is, that is there. Then there's the opposite of that view, which is you, you do die, but then you keep coming back. Reincarnation, right, is one of the views of the afterlife. Is really the afterlife is your next life. You keep coming back and back, and it's based on this idea of karma, you know, how you behave as a person, how you treat people determines how you come back and what form you come back. If you were a nasty person, maybe you'll come back as a bug to get squashed in your next life. If you were pretty virtuous, maybe you'll come back about the same. Maybe you'll come back in a different era, in a different time, in a different country, a different situation. And, and if you're good enough, if you become enlightened, you can break that cycle and reach whatever kind of afterlife may be after that. 
There are some who would say that the afterlife, where you go, is based on morality. If you're a good boy and a good girl, then you get rewarded. If you're a bad boy and a bad girl, you get punished. And sometimes even the Christian faith can become that. And we'll talk before we're done here about why the Christian faith is not really that at all. There are some who have this idea of purgatory, right? In the afterlife, it's kind of an in-between, this limbo type of phase. Uh, you're, you're almost there, but not quite. It's punishment, but not quite. And you can pray yourself out, or you can earn, an, earn your way out of this sort of middle state into heaven in the end. That's one of the issues on this spectrum. There's also this idea, some people, I don't know how many, but some people might have, that when you, if you die and go to heaven, you, you become this angel, Right? who sits on a cloud in a diaper playing a harp. You ever you know, seen those kinds of pictures? And I will just say that of all, the, all of the views I've just described, this one might be my favorite one, because I think I would rock a diaper in heaven, guys. I mean I, think, I mean, I think I would look good on this cloud playing my harp in my diaper with Jesus, okay, forever. So I don't, I don't know, but that, that's maybe one of the, the views. But here's the thing is, when it comes to death and the afterlife, we don't conclusively know everything there is to know, because we've not experienced that. And the people that have experienced that don't really, can't really tell us a whole lot about what that experience is like because they're dead, right? No matter where they went or what they are now, whatever you believe, they can't necessarily come back and tell us, here's what you can expect. Even if they could, all they could tell you is what they experienced, not necessarily what you will experience. So with this issue of death in the afterlife, there are a lot of unknowns. There are a lot of questions that we ask regarding this subject, which is the heart behind why we're talking about it. We're going to try to clear up as much as we can some of the misconceptions. So the next two weeks after today, we're going to talk about the truth behind heaven and hell. There are misconceptions about both. There's confusion about both. There are questions about both. And so we hope to tackle this maybe difficult topic, but we're going to try to get to the heart of what what, it, what is the afterlife really like? What can we expect? What does Scripture tell us about the afterlife? And in the last two weeks of the series, what we're going to do is we're going to actually take questions that you might have about the afterlife, and I'm going to study my brains out those two weeks to try to come up with the best answers that we can on whatever questions regarding this topic that you might have. So next week, we'll actually have little slips on each seat that you can re- put a question down. We've done a Q&A series before. It's going to be strictly about this topic. So that'll be the last couple weeks. So hopefully I've maybe whetted your appetite that you might uh, come back and see what else we have to say about this. But when it comes to death, again, we don't know everything, but the Bible does tell us at least three things about death and the afterlife that I want to talk about for a few minutes today. So I'm going to start out with this. It's a longer passage, but we're going to start here and we're going to pull these three ideas about this topic from this passage. So we're going to be in 2 Corinthians this morning. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the first 10 verses, then we'll pull, again, everything from from this uh, scripture text. So here's what it says. Paul writes this. He says, for we know, so he's he's making a claim here. We can know certain things about death and the afterlife, okay? We know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, that is, we die and leave this earthly body, we will have a house in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God himself and not by human hands. We grow weary in our present bodies. Anybody been there before? You ever gotten tired before? Ever been worn out or weary? We grow weary in our present bodies. We know this. And we long to put on our heavenly bodies like new clothing, like our Easter clothes maybe, right? For we will put on heavenly bodies. We will not be spirits without bodies. That's another uh, view that some would have. Well, your, your, your spirit lives on. You float around like a ghost. He says that's not true. 
While we live in these earthly bodies, we groan and sigh. Maybe we grunt, you know, we get old. Uh, But it's not that we want to die and get rid of these bodies that clothe us. Rather, we want to put on our new bodies so that these dying bodies will be swallowed up by life. God himself has prepared us for this, and as a guarantee or a down payment, he has given us his Holy Spirit. So we are always confident, even though we know that as long as we live in these bodies, we are not at home with the Lord, for we live by believing and not by seeing. You might have heard that verse, we live by faith and not by sight. He says, yes, we are fully confident, and we would rather be away from these earthly bodies, for then we will be at home with the Lord. So whether we are here in this body or away from this body, our goal is to please him. For we must all stand before Christ to be judged. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in this earthly body. So from this this passage, these 10 verses on this Easter Sunday, we can see three things about death and the afterlife that we'll talk about. The first thing is obvious, but it means, needs to be said. Death is certain. Okay, so for the kids, we have the Easter Bunny. For the adults in the room, we have the Grim Reaper. Come on out, Grim Reaper! No, we don't really have the Grim Reaper. That would have been awesome. But there's no Halloween Express stores open this time of year, so where are you going to find the Grim Reaper outfit? You know, I guess Amazon, but anyway. I didn't plan good enough for that prop. Anyway. So I actually read this study the other day, too, and it said simply this. One out of every one person dies. Did you know that? One out of every one person dies. Death is certain. Now, we don't know when or where or how. Let me ask you, how many of you, if you could know the date and cause and location of your death, would you like to know? Anybody? One? Okay, I see that hand. All right. Um, so, yeah, it, it would just, I think it would be kind of weird because you, you, would just, you couldn't get that out of your brain at that point, right? You would just know, no matter what I do, I can't change this. This is a fact. It's a reality. So we don't know when, where, how, or why, but we do know that we are all going to cease living at some point. Death is certain. So I did some, uh, I did some research. I don't know if you've ever seen or heard of the movies Final Destination, any of that series. So what I wanted to, and these are not from the movies, but um, some weird ways to die, okay? So if you're looking for some creativity in your death and you, you know, Let me just give you a few ideas to roll with, okay? Did you know that on average, every year, 13 people die from vending machines? Now, I looked that up, and I thought, that can't be right. So I looked it up somewhere else, and apparently, the internet said it, so it must be true. Okay, guys? Apparently, 13 people, I don't know if you you ever shake it, and you come on out because your chip bag gets caught or whatever, don't do it. You will be, one, you'll be a statistic. Don't become a statistic, guys. Just, just, you know, let it eat your 50 cents and move on, okay? 24 people a year die from an incident involving champagne corks. It's amazing. Two dozen people, I guess. So watch out during wedding season this summer, guys. You know, if they're popping that thing, do social distancing and keep your six feet. Uh, maybe, you know, wear a visor or something. I don't know. Uh, 150 people a year on average worldwide, this is weird too, these are all weird, right? Uh, 150 people a year on average die from coconuts falling on their head. Again, I'm not making this up. I, this, these, these are statistics, okay? You can't, 
I mean, Abraham Lincoln, you know, once, no, I'm not going to do that. All right. And then on average, every year, 450 people a year die from falling out of bed. That's crazy to think about that. And maybe you remember this, or maybe you don't, but if you, last year, 2020, um, it's not corona-related, okay? Uh, so one guy actually died from eating too much black licorice. Did you hear about that? He ate a bag and a half of black licorice every day for weeks and weeks. So apparently, black licorice contains this really long word. It's called glycerazinic acid, and it lowers the potassium level in your body, and it causes heart failure. His heart just gave out. It stopped because he overate the black licorice. So another thing to avoid here, people, I'm not, I mean, it's gross anyway. Why would you consume that in the first place? Apparently, he's the only person that eats this, and he just said, yeah, just, you know, ship, ship it on in my house, you know, I don't know. But he died from eating too much black licorice. So we don't know when, where, or how we're going to die, but we do know, even this passage says, and just life in general, one out of every one person dies. We know it's a certainty. So again, happy Easter. Glad you're here, all right? Here's the second thing that we can see from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. The second thing that we know about death is immediately upon death, our body and our soul separates. So your, your, body will die, your body will die, but you will not die. Do you see how that's a different thing? And that's why Paul, in this passage, he uses this idea of a tent. Your body's a tent. It houses something inside of it. So you are not this. I am not this. There's something inside of us called our soul that is who we really are. Your body eventually will wear out, but your soul will live on. Let's look at this uh, again, 2 Corinthians 5, verses 6 through 8. Paul says, We are always confident, even though we know that as long as we live in these bodies, we are not at home with the Lord. For we live by believing, not by seeing. Yes, we're fully confident, and we would rather be away from these earthly bodies, for then we'll be at home with the Lord. So, we know that at, Paul says here at death, your body and soul separate. So, here's the deal. Weird thing to think about, but it's true. At your funeral you'll be more alive than you've ever been, ever, right? Because you don't have this tent that is keeping this thing within itself. It's not containing anything. It is now an empty shell. It is only, you know, something that we can recognize each other with. It's a mechanism that God designed us with to be able to have relationship. But it's not really who we are. It's something deeper inside of us called the soul, and they separate at death. We read about this in John chapter 11, a very famous story that happened just a few weeks before Good Friday and Easter Sunday, the first one, where a good friend of Jesus' named Lazarus dies, like one out of every one person. But he had gotten word that Lazarus was sick before he died, and he was on his way to get there, but while they were traveling, they were delayed, and Lazarus died. By the time Jesus arrived, he's been dead four days, is what it tells us. So his sisters, Mary and Martha, they come out and they tell Jesus, they're like, hey, if you'd been here, he wouldn't have died and all this stuff. And Jesus says, hey, I'm here now. Death's not an issue for me. We don't have a problem. We're fine. And so he says, Lazarus will live again. And of course, they're thinking in their sort of ancient Jewish mindset. And here's part of the ancient Jewish belief system, their culture about body and soul. So the ancient Jewish belief system is that upon death, your body and soul do separate. But their belief was for a couple of days, the soul is going to hover really near the body. So after about three days, 
which is pretty important for today, the soul is gone. It's not hovering. It's not close. It's wherever it's going to go, and the body is there. It's empty. It's dead. But then, so he's been dead four days, right? So he's, he's dead, dead. It's, it's over and done with. There's no hope here. But what does Jesus do? He calls Lazarus and brings him back from the dead. It's a miracle, even in the strictest like psychological sense for the original audience there, because they know the soul's gone. This body's been dead. It's cold. And even in the King James, you know, Martha says, by now he stinketh, right? I love saying stinketh. I just love that that's in there like that. I always go back to KJV for that, for at least that verse. But he stinketh four days. You don't know. We're like... Get him out of here. You know, put him on ice. Put him in the ground. We're done here. But Jesus reconnects two things that have been separated. That's why even for the observer, casual observer, this was a miracle. They, they know this cannot just happen, but it did. And we know that this separation happens immediately upon death because when Jesus is on the cross on Good Friday, there's a thief on either side of him also being crucified. One thief is mocking him, jeering him, making fun of him with the crowd, but the other thief says, hey Jesus, will you remember me when you enter your kingdom? And what does Jesus tell him? He says, today, I tell you the truth, today you'll be with me in paradise. Well, no, no, no. T- today, you're going to be taken off the cross and wrapped up and thrown into a tomb. That's what's going to happen today. But Jesus says, no, 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 no. There's a separation that happens. This, the tent that you're in is dead. The tent I'm going to be in is going to be dead, but I will see you in paradise this very day. There's an immediate separation that happens between soul and body upon death. And what Paul says here in these middle verses that we just read again, he says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. It's an immediate translation. It's a transition from one to the other, from this life to the life that is yet to come. And for the believers that he's writing to, the Christ followers that he's writing to in this letter, he's saying, hey, absent from the body, present with the Lord, okay? So again, we don't know all the details about what that looks like. We don't know all the little fine points about what what that process is, what the timing is, what the length of time. We we don't know these things, but we do know that the soul and body separate immediately, and those that have put faith in Christ will be with the Lord. Whatever that looks like, whatever place that is, whatever pocket of eternity that might be, and that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Which that leads us to the third thing that we'll look at for a few minutes here. And this is the the downer part, but there's a good part to it too. So we know that death is certain. We know that our soul and body separate immediately. And then the third thing that we know about after this life is over, everyone is judged. Again, happy Easter. Yay, right? Everyone's judged. There are two judgments that the Bible talks about. And the one that's mentioned here in 2 Corinthians 5 is the second one. We'll cover that second. There's the first one. We'll get... We'll get the bad news over with first, and we'll get to the good news. We'll follow up with that one, okay? So here's the first judgment that we see. It's at the very end in Revelation chapter 20. Yeah, we're doing Revelation on Easter too. Why not? There's no net under me at all, right? So here we go. Revelation 20, starting at verse 11, John sees this vision. He says, I saw a great white throne and the one sitting on it. The earth and sky fled from his presence, but they found no place to hide. That's a pretty cool image. Then he said, I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne. And the books were opened, including the book of life. 
and the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. Skip down to verse 15. And anyone whose name was not found or not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. So what we see here from Revelation 20 and even what Paul says, we'll look at again in a second, everyone is judged. Okay. Now, again, this is the Christian view. It doesn't have to be your view, but it's like the truth. Sorry to disappoint you here on Easter, right? So it's fine to believe what you want to believe, but this is like from the guy who made the rules, okay? So he's saying here, everyone is judged. John says, I looked out and I saw the dead, both great and small. The, the least significant person who ever lived will be judged, and the most, whoever you would think of as the most important person who ever lived will be judged. And it says that there are books, multiple books here. So think about, uh, you know, one is called the, the book of deeds, and that's where they get this book of what you've done. Everything we've done will be judged, right? But, so that might be problematic, okay? If I'm judged by what I've done, ugh, it may not be such a good thing. But there's also the book here, the only book named is the book of life. So think about this, like the biggest directory you've ever thought of in your life. You know, millions of pages with billions of names in it, that sort of thing. So he says, if a person's name was, was not found in the book of life, they are then judged by the other books of what they've done. And that doesn't measure up to God's standard that we'll talk about in a second. So they're thrown into the lake of fire, which is also called the second death. Again, I know a real bumper here this morning on Easter, but I'm just giving you the truth here, okay? So it says that if your name is not in the book of life, then you're thrown into the lake of fire, the second death, and that's it. You suffer forever because of your deeds that you're judged upon. So then the question, though, would be, well, what about the people whose names are in the book? We know that maybe they go to heaven, but what, what does that look like? And that gets to the second judgment, the one that really Paul is talking about here. And it's very different. It's very distinct from the one that John sees in Revelation 20. Let's look at one more verse here. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10, the last verse that we read at the open. Paul says, We must all stand before Christ to be judged. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in this earthly body. Now, there's an important distinction to make here, and there's a, a word in the Greek that I'm going to introduce us to that will help us maybe see this verse in a brand new way, okay? So Paul is writing this letter to Christians, okay? It's a letter to a church, to believers who have put their faith in Jesus. He's saying they'll be judged, but the word he uses here, judgment, is this Greek word, bema, B-E-M-A, okay? That's the specific judgment. That's the, it's a specific type of judgment, and this word actually goes back to the ancient Olympics, Okay? So he's using an analogy here that we don't see in English. We just see judge, like, oh, no, judge. This is a good judgment. This is the judgment that you want to be at. Okay, So the Bema in the Olympics is at the end of a race when there's a winner. The judge who is overseeing the event, his seat or he's sitting on is called the Bema seat. He's the judge of the event. He's sitting on the Bema. So the winner of this Olympic event would walk up the steps to the Bema seat, the judgment seat, not to be judged, but to be rewarded. They have run the race. They have won the race. They receive a laurel wreath on their head. Now we would see they had the podium. You get the medals. So it's, that's, that is the word Paul is using here about this judgment. It's not a judgment as we would think of it. It is more an awards ceremony. There's like maybe a red carpet. Maybe there's paparazzi. Like, I don't know how that's going to look. But 
all that, all that we need to care about here is that, so here's the deal. We get up to be judged. There's a bunch of books. There's the book of life. Da, 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 da. Hey, your name's right here. You can move on over to the left. So we move on over, and then we get to skip the judgment to be part of this awards ceremony. We approach the judge in the seat, and he says, well done, good and faithful servant. And he says that we'll be rewarded for what we've done. So let me be clear about this. Scripture is clear. And I mentioned that it's, this is not like a merits-based system, so I don't want to confuse anyone with what I'm saying. The only way to be saved from this judgment is by grace through faith, okay? Paul says we're saved by grace through faith, not by works. So I can't get my name in the book of life by doing good works. I can't get my name in the book of life by being a good person. I can't get my name in the book of life by being a nice neighbor or a moral citizen I, I, or because of what, if I'm a Republican or a Democrat or independent, right? I don't get my name in the book by anything I do. It is simply an act of faith on my part to receive God's grace. So what God is looking for is perfection. I can't measure up to that, but I put my faith in Christ and I'm rewarded by grace, my name's in the book, and then I get rewarded in this second judgment, okay? So we're, we're not saved by our works, but uh, we'll talk about this in James in a few weeks. We are saved to do good works, and that's what's rewarded here in this second judgment. Even Jesus says this. He gives this account of, you know, he has this same picture that John and Paul sort of have together in one. He says, at the end of days, there's going to be everyone, all the multitudes, great and small, will be there. Some, they'll be divided on the right and on the left. And the people on the left, their name's not in the book, and they get punished. And the people on the right, right, they put faith in Christ. And so they say, well done. And so God will, Jesus says, God will say to them, they're like, well, what, how did I deserve this? And God's like, well, I was hungry and you fed me and I was thirsty and you gave me a drink and I was sick and in prison and you visited me. And they're like, wait, 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 wait. Hey, God, when were you ever thirsty? God, when, when did I ever feed you? When, did, when were you in prison? How did I miss this headline news? And he says, no, 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 no. When you did it to the least of these, you did it unto me. So these are already people who have put faith in Christ. They're not earning salvation by doing works. But because they put their faith in Christ, it compels them to do these works that then they are rewarded for. It's like I've already made the cut and now there's an extra bonus to this. Yes, that's what Paul's talking about here, this second judgment. So let me break this down one more time and then we'll, we'll wrap it up here for just a second. So if our name is not in this book of life that John talks about, we can only be judged by our bad works. However, as Paul says... If we have put faith in Christ, we will only be rewarded for our good works. Uh, okay, I'm just going to leave it there. So let me just say this as we close. Let me ask this question. Maybe you've been asking for the last few minutes. Why are you talking about this on Easter? Why would you waste this opportunity to, on this day of life to talk about death? Here's why we're doing this Besides the fact that God told me to, basically, you know, it's like, I had no choice, guys, you know. Other than that, here's, here's why today of all days. It's because of this. Easter is the way we go from one judgment to the second judgment. Easter is the way that we go from being judged to being rewarded. That is this last three-day period, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. It's what makes all of this 
That's what makes there an option. Without Easter, there is no second option. There is no reward award system. There is only judgment. Because here's, here's the thing. I won't speak for you, but I'll speak for me. I am an imperfect person. Maybe you can relate to that. I don't know if you can't. But I'm an imperfect person created by a perfect God. The only way, according to his standard, to escape his judgment and wrath is to be perfect. I've already established that I'm not perfect, so I can't measure up to that impossible standard. Doesn't seem fair, does it, guys? It's a setup, you know, we're all duped, we're all doomed here. No, that's where Easter comes into play. Because God knew they can't measure up to this standard, they will all be judged for sin and rebellion, but I'm going to make a way for that to not be the case. So instead of me being punished for my sin, Jesus in his grace came from heaven to earth, sent by his Father to take my place on the cross for my sin. You see, my sin is punished, but it was punished 2,000 years ago on a cross. Someone else decided to jump in my place to take the penalty that I deserved. Jesus decided to jump in your place to take the penalty, the judgment that you deserve. Because we are all imperfect, and the Bible would call that we are sinners. So God sent his son Jesus to live the perfect life that I could not live. God sent his son Jesus to take the punishment that I deserve. God sent his son Jesus to give, to offer me forgiveness I don't deserve, to extend life to me that I don't deserve, to, ex- to have rewards ready for me that I can't earn and do not deserve. That's why we're talking about death on Easter, because Easter is the death of death. That's what this is all about. That's why the empty tomb matters. And again, here we'll bring it back full circle. Here's again why we're talking about this at all. Because your belief about death will determine your actions in life. And I believe that the greatest action that you or I can take in this life is one decision. And that decision is, what do we do about Jesus? What do we do with Jesus? What you believe about death affects your actions in life. The greatest action that you or I can take is one decision. What do we do about Jesus? Today, on this Easter Sunday, will you by faith believe that Jesus is God's Son? This Easter, will you by faith believe that Jesus lived a sinless life? Will you by faith this Easter believe that Jesus took your place on the cross for your sin? Your sin will be punished one way or the other, either by you forever or by Jesus on the cross that's already been done. Will you by faith today this Easter believe that he didn't just die, but that he rose from the dead to prove that this is true? That's the power of Easter, is that he, he didn't just save us from our sins, but he proved it to be true. So there were eyewitnesses that we have recorded of this event, of his death. They saw him stop breathing. They saw him wrapped up and buried. And then three days later, the same people saw him not dead anymore. That's an amazing thing. And they wrote it down. They believed with all their heart and soul. So much they believed it to their death. When they're on the chopping block, when they're being you know, pulled apart in pieces saying, recant your faith, they say, I can't recant what I know to be true. I saw it with my eyes. I can't explain it. I don't even know how I believe it, but I saw it. 
And so they were so convicted about this faith, this belief, this event that happened, a historical event that happened, that they believe it to the death because Jesus rose from the dead. So without Jesus, we're judged for our bad works. Anything less than perfection is not enough. But when our faith is placed in Jesus, we are saved from judgment and rewarded for good works. And not only do we have that hope of eternal life in the distant future, but now you can experience peace in Christ. No matter what you're facing, no matter what troubles your mind or your spirit or your emotions, you can have hope that no matter what may come my way, I'm not going to see it coming. I can have hope through even that. I can have joy in my life no matter what comes my way. Your beliefs about death will affect your actions in life, and the greatest action we can take is a decision. So this Easter, the question is simple, and that is, what will we choose? I'd like everybody to repeat this prayer, simple prayer after me. Dear God, I confess I am a sinner. I'm in need of a Savior. And today... I put my faith in Jesus. I believe he took my place on the cross for my sin. And I believe he rose from the dead to give ultimate victory. I give my sin to him and I give my life to him. And I will by faith live my life for him. Thank you for this gift. In Jesus' name, amen.